from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Luke Slot. Luke is a musician from Dublin who has just released his first CD, Don't Go Back to Sleep. Before playing the interview, I would like to play a clip from C-SPAN on the subject of the U.S. Congress House Resolution 1008 that condemns the persecution of the Baha'is in Iran. The first speaker is Democratic Representative Mark Berman of California. He's the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. The second speaker is Republican Representative Steve Chabot of Ohio. The resolution was passed in the House of Representatives in August 2008. The clerk will report the title of the resolution. House Resolution 1008, Resolution Condemning the Persecution of the Baha'is in Iran. The chair recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Berman. Mr. Speaker, first let me thank our colleague Mark Kirk for introducing uh, this important resolution. The Baha'i community in Iran certainly is no stranger to severe government persecution. But as a result of arrests in March and May of 2008, the entire national leadership of the Iranian Baha'i community is now being held incommunicado. The May arrests are the most direct action taken against Baha'i leadership in Iran since the early 1980s, when the Iranian government abducted and executed the entire leadership of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is. In 1983, all formal Baha'i administrative institutions were outlawed. In the past four years, 166 Baha'is have been arrested in Iran. Among the charges brought against them is creating, I quote, creating anxiety in the minds of the public and those of the Iranian officials, unquote. Conditions of the, for the Baha'i in Iran are deteriorating, including an upsurge in violent attacks, the destruction of property, the demolition of homes, and arson. Ministry of Intelligence officers and agents continue to summon, arbitrarily detain, and interrogate Baha'is about all aspects of their lives and about any Muslims who may participate in Baha'i activities. The resolution before the House calls on the government of Iran to immediately and unconditionally release Baha'is imprisoned as a result of their religion and to cease its systematic persecution of the Baha'i community. It sends a strong signal that Congress will continue to watch closely the treatment of the Baha'i people in Iran. Mr. Speaker, I reserve the balance of my time. Reserves, gentlemen from Ohio. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I yield myself such time as I may consume. Gentlemen, is recognized. Thank you. I, I rise today in support of H.R. 1008, which condemns the Iranian government's continuing persecution of members of the Baha'i faith, calls on Iran's parliament to reject a proposed Islamic penal code, and calls on the Iranian regime to immediately release 10 imprisoned Baha'is. Mr. Speaker, Tehran's notoriously cruel regime, which denies religious freedoms to its citizens, has made a special example of the Iranian Baha'is. In addition to seizing Baha'i communal property, the Iranian government prohibits the community from officially assembling, bans them from practicing or teaching their religion, excludes them from the national pension system and from public universities, prevents them from inheriting property, and jails them on account of their faith or on trumped-up charges of espionage. Recently, Iranian Baha'is have also reported a string of arson attacks against their homes and vehicles. Disturbingly, this persecution continues to the grave. In 2007, two Baha'i cemeteries in Iran were destroyed or bulldozed, wiping away the memory of these innocent Iranians. 
Mr. Speaker, oppression of Baha'is comes from the very top of the Iranian regime. The UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion uh, or belief has revealed that in 2005 the chairman of the command headquarters of Iran's armed forces wrote a letter stating that Iran's so-called supreme leader had ordered the headquarters to identify and monitor Iranian members of the Baha'i faith. This was no idle request. In March and May of 2008 the government of Iran arrested and imprisoned seven senior leaders of the Baha'i community in Iran and today those leaders along with three other Baha'is remain imprisoned without charge. Now Iran's parliament may aggravate repression of religious freedom by enacting a draft Islamic penal code that would punish so-called apostates including all Baha'is and converts from Islam with death. Iran's regime continues to demonstrate that it is ready and willing to execute innocent people. Mr. Speaker, totalitarian regimes everywhere hiding behind the false excuse of state sovereignty are eager to combat any progress in human rights and freedoms and to expand their hegemony and repression as far as others allow them to do. Therefore, the United States must continue to make clear in both word and deed that the spread of religious freedom and human rights worldwide is not merely an ideal but an imperative. I thank my distinguished gentleman and the colleague and my friend from Illinois, Mr. Kirk, for introducing this resolution, and I reserve the balance of my time. That was a clip from C-SPAN on the subject of the U.S. Congress House Resolution 1008 that condemns the persecution of the Baha'is in Iran. The resolution was passed in the House of Representatives in August 2008. Now I'd like to play my interview with Luke Slot. He is a musician from Dublin who has just released his first CD, Don't Go Back to Sleep. He's now in the U.S. working on a second CD project with the producer Kelly Snook. I started the interview by asking Luke where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. Well, I, I was born and raised in Dublin, in Ireland. It was, I mean, I had a very pretty, pretty normal upbringing. And my uh, mother was an actress. My father was a musician. But I grew up with my mother and stepfather, who was a builder. I grew up in like the suburbs of Dublin and started playing music when I was, I guess, about 12 or 13. I started learning trumpet from my father. And I started getting an interest in kind of jazz and improvisation, things like that. And then I, you know, during high school, I started exploring other kinds of music, pop, rock, a bit of classical, and learned, started learning the piano and the guitar. Yeah, I guess when I was, when I was young, I, I had always wanted to be a vet because... Our house, we had so many animals in our house. We had a house full of um, parrots and rabbits and chinchillas and dogs. Uh, so most of my childhood, I, I actually was aiming towards being a vet uh, before I took an interest in music. Sure. So how old were you when you sort of made the switch in your head that you were going to focus on music rather than follow your animal career? I think I was about 15 or 16, and I had, I think I had just joined a band. I just joined my first band and, and I think I remember a, a pretty clear switch when, and, and, you know, saying to my mother, I think I want to be a musician and she was really supportive you know, because as, as an actress herself, you know, having been married to a musician and everything, she understood she understood it much more as, okay, this is a, this is a valid career choice and as long as you are prepared to you know, do what it takes to to survive as a, as a musician, you know, she was really encouraging. She said, that's fine. And she, both my parents have been so encouraging up to, up to this day. And so I think I was about 15 or 16 and I had them, um, around that time I had just picked up the piano and the guitar. And I think my parents saw that I was quite serious about it and I was working hard at it, practicing a lot. And, uh, and so they, they were very encouraging. And what was religious life like growing up? Actually, I, I wasn't raised with any religion at all. I, I guess I, I come from a sort of sort of agnostic background. Um, I guess on, on one side was sort of Church of Ireland, but not really practicing. And uh, another side of the family was Jewish, but not, not really practicing. And so I was, uh, yeah, I wasn't really raised with any religious religion at all. But um, a lot of the, the principles of the faith that I found when, when I was, I guess, 20, 21, really were, were very much what my mother had taught me growing up. And so I could, 
I could sort of immediately relate to, to the, these principles in, in the Baha'i faith. So you said you were playing in bands when you were like 15, 16? Yeah, yeah. So you played out often? Yeah, I, I actually, I say bands, but really I, I just played in one band for, for several years. We were, we were in high school and we, the other guys had actually, they had, they had this band and I met them and I joined the band as a singer and we started to play, you know, mostly playing, mostly opening for other local bands and eventually moving towards playing our own gigs. And we played quite a lot around, uh, first around Dublin and then, then around Ireland and the UK. We were together for about, probably about, I think about six years. Six years, so that took you beyond high school then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what happened after high school? Well, after high school, we were in this band, and we, we actually we signed a record deal on, on our last day of high school. <laughs> actually, we missed our last day of high school in order to, to, to fly to London to sign this record deal. So it was quite sort of, um, you know, we could tease our, our fellow students about that. Um, and we signed a, a record deal, and we were with a, we were with a label for about, about two years. And we started doing more touring around the U.K., we released a couple of singles that you know that did okay in in the Irish charts, but we never got to make an album. Unfortunately, we we got dropped from the label before finishing our album, which you know is something that it happens a lot. So, but we were lucky to to um, have the experience that we did. And what was the style of music that your band played? It was kind of indie rock, alternative rock. When we were just starting, we started off playing Radiohead covers, Smashing Pumpkins covers. What else? We did some Thin Lizzy covers. We gradually started replacing all those covers with our own songs until until we had, uh, you know, our own repertoire of original material. So I mean, I guess from those influences, it was that was what kind of guided us towards the, the, the type of music that we were playing. And you wrote some of these songs. We wrote them together mostly. I mean, I wrote. I would write the lyrics and then bring them bring them to the other guys, and we would you know all flesh them out, writing parts together. And, yeah, actually, I mean, I, I learned so much from working with the guys in that band about about working as a band, arranging songs. So it was a really excellent experience. And did you write music or songs before you joined that band, by any chance? No, actually, that band was my first experience of writing music. So that was really kind of um, the workshop, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we all, we all, that was our first experience for all of us of, of writing music. And so... That band was kind of, yeah, that was sort of the cauldron where we all kind of learned to write and learned to work together with other musicians. And I think some of the other guys have gone on to work in other bands and, you know, have continued to write new material themselves. Now, do you remember writing your first song? I do, yeah. (laughs) It was awful. (laughs) Yeah, I remember, um, yeah, when we started writing songs together, we... uh, we would write them and think that they were just totally amazing, and then, you know, a few weeks later, just completely trash them and move on. Um, but little by little, we we gained more confidence in our in our songwriting, and you know, just just kind of learn what what made good songs and the ingredients that you needed to write good songs. You know, I'm I'm still trying to find <laughs> most of those ingredients. Yeah, I guess I think that just the more we did it, the more we found our sound and learned how to express ourselves. It's like anything. You just, the more you do it, the better you get. And you, you, not everything that you write is, is going to be very good, but if you just keep at it, um, you know, there'll, be, there'll be some gems within the, the non-gem. <laughs> so what happened after the label dropped you? Well, after the label dropped us, we, we, we split up. We decided to, to go our separate ways. And um, it was just, you know, the, the whole experience... Um, with the label, was it was quite a lot of pressure and it was quite stressful at times. And we just decided, okay, not ready to to start all this all over again. And so we we decided to to leave it at that. And I just took a break from playing for a while, and I I started teaching piano. So I just taught piano privately for I think a year or two, and then um, I started to get the idea of going to music college to maybe study composition and orchestration and things like that. I started to write a portfolio of music to apply to music colleges. I brought my pieces that I've been writing, which were mostly for piano and string quartet. I brought them to some friends, some string players, because um, I don't play any string instruments. So I brought them to some friends just to see if they could have a look over it and see 
if it was you know playable and and they said hey you know wh- why don't we play this stuff we should we should play these pieces we should perform them so i started to work with these string players we were practicing and rehearsing and we hadn't played any any gigs yet aside from playing in people's homes we played sometimes in friends homes we would put on little concerts just for friends and family and but we hadn't played any public performances and one of the violinists that i was working with decided that she was going to move to new york to pursue her own career as a as a concert violinist i said well you know why don't i why don't we all go to new york together and we'll do this this project over there so i i booked a, a flight to new york and was kind of ready for a change from ireland you know was ready to move off for just a change of scene and and eventually you know a few months went by and then this violinist couldn't she couldn't go after all and the others couldn't come and so i thought well i'll just i'll go to new york anyway and I'll probably find musicians to work with there and and so I went and I moved to New York for about a year and a half and started to play again both playing my instrumental music my compositions and also playing songs in open mic clubs and things so I spent a year and a half in New York just playing and writing and then I moved back to Ireland and I've been there for the past 2 years New York's an expensive sure. place to live how yeah. were you able to uh, support yourself I, well, I did various things. I uh, I taught piano. I taught guitar. I played piano in a restaurant. Then, I, you know, at other times I had I just found day jobs. I worked in a a little antique store in Brooklyn. I worked in a in a doctor's office as an assistant. I worked uh, in a print studio. Really, whatever I could find. Sometimes I'd have to work a couple of different jobs at the same time because because New York is very expensive. And I think that's probably why I, I just stayed a year and a half because it was very tiring living there. It's just it's such a fast pace of life. I was happy to go back home to Ireland after a year and a half in New York. What happened when you got back to Ireland? Well, I spent some time recovering from life in New York. <laughs> in Ireland, I just started saving money towards recording the music that I'd been writing over the previous couple of years. I got a job working as an as a personal assistant for a friend of mine. He invited me to re- to come uh, and record some of my music on his piano. He had this beautiful Steinway grand piano and he invited me to to come and record on it. So I started recording a batch of uh, music for solo piano uh, which had which I'd written over the previous few years. So I recorded this album of of solo piano music. Then I I got back in touch with those string players that I'd been working with years before. Who were they were still in Ireland, and I asked them if if they would still be interested in just recording this music that I had written, and so they said yeah. And so we recorded all my piano music and all this string quartet music. Now I'm just kind of in the final stages of mixing that, and I've just released one album. Actually today, I just launched my my very first album, um, which is music for solo piano. Launched it this morning actually from my website. And what is your website, Luke? LukeSlot.com, L-U-K-E-S-L-O-T-T.com. And what's the name of the album? The album is called Don't Go Back to Sleep. It's music for solo piano. If I could play one or two selections. Sure. The title track of the album is, is Don't Go Back to Sleep. It's actually a line from a poem by the Persian poet Rumi. He has this beautiful poem where you know, he says one line, and then he says, don't go back to sleep, and then another line, and it says, don't go back to sleep, all the way through the, this, this beautiful poem. I just thought it was such a beautiful repetition of this phrase, don't go back to sleep, to always remember, remember what's important, don't, don't go back to sleep. And so I just took that line, because I just thought it really, it really touched me. And then actually some of the other tracks from the album are taken from other lines of that poem, which, which happened between the Don't Go Back to Sleep line. So a lot of the titles were inspired by this roomy poem, Don't Go Back to Sleep.
there's one track on the album, it's called The Ladder and the Soul, which is, I just took the idea from something that Baha'u'llah said about music being uh, like a ladder for the soul. I tried to take really the, this, this idea of a ladder and a soul and make like two themes to this one piece. And uh, one piece is like a soul sort of wandering around. And then this other piece, the other, the other theme in the song is like, these ascending arpeggios with your fingers sort of climb up the, the keys of the piano like a ladder and then it alternates between these two themes almost like two characters of the, the ladder and the soul
the culmination of this album was several years of composing these piano pieces, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So basically, that was the time period between the time you came back to Ireland and to the point that you have come back to the U.S. to sort of launch this CD? Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And really, what I'm doing is the music that I recorded back home in Ireland on my friend's piano, I'm releasing that now. And in the meantime, I've come back to, to America to, to work on a record with a, a producer here, Kelly Snook. So while I'm promoting this piano album... I'll be working on another album at the same time. At what point, Luke, did you run into the Baha'i faith? I guess I first heard about it when I was, I think, about maybe 19 or 20, because my brother had moved to Scotland to study, and he met some Baha'is there. He was living in Glasgow, and I think one of his roommate's friend was a Baha'i, and so he got to know a group of friends in the Baha'i community in Glasgow. And uh, I used to go and visit my brother a lot. Uh, I would meet these people as well. And eventually, he declared. I-, I didn't really have much of an interest in religion, but you know, at the same time, I think I probably was probably was searching for for something for quite a number of years. You know, I, uh, every time I visited my brother, I would all you know, he would have some things around his room, some maybe little books or pamphlets or something. And I just remember every time I picked something up, I would read something that really just blew my mind and then talk a little bit about it. Sometimes I would ask him a question, or if he was at home in Dublin visiting the family, we would occasionally just talk a little bit about it. And then I I, I guess I I gradually started to realize the importance of of Baha'u'llah's message. You know, I realized this is is so important. If this is true, this is the most important thing in the world, so I I started to look into it. I started to read a few things, and I went and found the, the Baha'i Center in Dublin, and I knocked on the door, and the people there were very helpful in, in giving me some information, and by the people at the, the Dublin Baha'i Center, they invited me to a study circle. They knew that I was interested in learning more about the faith, and they invited me along, and so I did this study circle, and it was the book one, Reflections on the Life of the Spirit, and I did this group with them. It was myself and a couple of Baha'is and a Muslim from Sudan, and we did this book together. And Yeah, just more and more my questions were just answered and everything fit together piece by piece. By the end of doing that, that study circle, I, I declared as well. I guess I think I was 21. And you said when you were visiting your brother and you would read some of his materials, some of it would blow your mind. Do you remember what it was that or some of the ideas or concepts that blew yeah, your mind? Um, well, I remember reading the hidden words. Luke, what, can you explain to the folks what the hidden words are? Oh, sure, sure. I, one of my brother's friends introduced me to this book called The Hidden Words, which is one of the central books of the Baha'i faith from the writings of Baha'u'llah. The hidden words is really, it's described by Baha'u'llah himself as really a, a, like a brief essence of the teachings of all of the prophets throughout history, just in brief. And so it's it's like a little book of, spiritual guidance that is very universal. The Hidden Words really isn't specifically about being a Baha'i. It's just a, a beautiful book of living life as a human being. And it's just a book of, of um, about 150 or so short little verses, guidance for life and about the relationship between man and God and the relationship between human beings. And so I, um, I read some of this, this book with some of these friends in, in Scotland I was just so touched by it. There was one particular one that I read about heaven or paradise being nearness to God and love of God. I think it goes, Thy paradise is my love, thy heavenly home reunion with me. Enter therein and tarry not. That really kind of touched my heart. And, and you know, when I read that and thought about it over, again, over and over again, I, I guess I had been kind of resisting accepting the Baha'i faith for a while and that just kept on staying in my head, and I kind of eventually just thought, well, what am I waiting for? I believe this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke, once you ran into the Baha'i faith, how would you say the Baha'i faith affected your life? I think I'm still trying to get to grips with that. <laughs> yeah. I, felt, I know that one thing that has, that has really stood out is the sort of encouragement that, that the Baha'i faith gives to the arts 
and really pursuing excellence in your art and your craft. And so I always feel like, like Baha'u'llah really encouraged people to, to really treasure creativity and, and the arts in our lives. And so, you know, it's, it's given, given me a real sense of when I'm working hard on my music, you know, this is, a, this is useful. It's a good contribution to society to, to make an art and to pursue excellence in one's art. And so it's very validating in that way. And also, I guess on a, on a deeper level, I guess I felt that there's this focus in the Baha'i faith, there's a focus on, on really seeing the good in people and, and like finding people's qualities and really encouraging those qualities. And I think when you have that constantly in your mind, it helps you to, to love people more, to get along with people, to work with people more. Now, your brother, I understand he's also interested in music. Yeah, my brother Mike is a—he's a hip hop producer. Um, he started off working in a duo called Heralds of Change, which was based out of Scotland and Ireland. They made a few EPs together. Since then, both Mike and his the, the other half of Heralds of Change have gone on to start solo careers. Mike has just—he's just about to release his debut EP, his debut solo EP, uh, under his own name, Mike Slot. And he's just starting to work towards a full-length album. So he's been touring around the States and Canada and Europe over the last year. He works both as a producer for his own music and also producing other people's music, remixing others' music. And he collaborates with a lot of other vocalists and rappers. So you can check him out on myspace.com slash Mike Slot. So Mike is a Baha'i as well? Yeah, actually Mike... He joined the faith about a year before me in, in, in Scotland. And so it was really Mike who introduced me to the faith. So you're in New York and you're making a new CD. Well, actually, now I'm, I'm based in Philadelphia now. I just moved from Ireland back to the States about a month ago to be based in Philadelphia because I'm going to be working. When I was living in New York, I met a bunch of musicians kind of from all over the East Coast. That I, that I want to work with. Some of them are from New York, some are from Pittsburgh, some are from Philadelphia, and some are from D.C. And so Philadelphia is kind of the most central of those cities. So I decided, well, I'll move to Philadelphia, and we can figure out the logistics of getting together for recording sessions and rehearsals. And so I'm living in Philadelphia at the moment, but kind of hopping around the East Coast quite a lot. Our aim is to have an album recorded by the end of the year. So tell me about this project. So this, this project will actually be a mixture of original songs, of my own lyrics, and pieces from the Baha'i writings that I've set to music as songs. So it'll be a mixture of, yeah, lots of, lots of kind of different stuff. Over the past few years, I've spent quite a lot, a lot of time setting the Baha'i writings to music. Some of these verses from the, the book, The Hidden Words, and also some prayers and other quotations from the Baha'i writings. And that's actually been a really, a really good exercise in, in songwriting, you know, to take words and try and set them to music while still being true to the rhythm of the words. It's, it's quite a challenge. But I've learned a lot about, about songwriting from, from doing that and instruction of melodies. So I'm really looking forward to, to recording that, all this stuff. And when do you anticipate the CD coming out? I don't know. I think uh, if we finish recording it by the end of the year, and then you know it'll take a bit of time to have artwork designed and you know all the kind of manufacturing process. So I, I don't really know, but hopefully, I don't know, spring next year or early next year. This this will probably take the next six months to just get it recorded because all of the people that I'm working with, they all have their other things going on as well. You know, some of them play in other bands or have other jobs. You know, it'll be quite tricky to get everyone in the same place at the same time for recording sessions. But we're, I'm working it out with them, with Kelly at the moment, the producer. We've kind of been talking about it for a couple of years now. We're just dying to get started. I've recorded one song with uh, this producer, Kelly Snook. It's called A Few Honest Words. Really, I, I just kind of came into the studio with this playing guitar and singing, and Kelly just completely revamped this, this, this song that I had and she just did this amazing job. And that was, this was kind of my first experience working with Kelly. It's really made me look, look forward to recording more with her. 
the song is called A Few Honest Words. And it's just kind of about taking your time and living one moment at a time. It's called A Few Honest Words. flows between our veins and keeps the ground beneath us sweet as water soft to touch and taste and well enough to feed us these bones we wrap ourselves around that keep our heads from falling strong as stone unwilling to come down to troubled minds that call out don't believe in worrying having feet on the ground can count as something as long as you can carry it what you say will be So do you have any other projects in the works? I mean, one thing that I would love to do is get involved in film music. You know, and hopefully that once I have my instrumental music, my piano music and my string quartet music, once I have that in circulation, I'm going to try and start pitching to filmmakers and see if I can get into that, that, that kind of work, which I'd love. Well, I wish you luck in your future endeavors. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Luke Slot a musician from Dublin who just released his first CD, Don't Go Back to Sleep. You can get his CD on Luke's website, lukeslot.com. I'll be playing more of Luke's music after the close of this program. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org. 